boy, it was like at first Saul was like the music. He was coming in, right? After battle, he was like, yeah, the people are chanting everything. And they're like, Saul is slain. Just die. Yeah, that's right. That's me. And then all of a sudden, they're continuing to sing. And he's like, oh, okay. And then, and David, yeah, yeah, he's here. He's, yeah, he's there. His tenth, whoa, ten. And David's like, Now check this out. So the next thing you know, it's like the Bible says that Saul viewed David from that day forward with jealousy. Let me help you guys with something that I think is so important. Jealousy was never a part of the promises of God for Saul's life. As a matter of fact, God gave Saul everything he needed to succeed as king. Did you know that? But Saul chose not to use what God had given him. You know that Saul's job was to fight battles, to protect God's people. And Saul, for the most part, started off well and did good. I mean, he did win some battles, right? But the moment that song was played, David became Saul's greatest battle. If you ever just read the life of Saul, because this is the context, I don't know if you guys know, but in this here, remember right before David spares Saul's life, remember that twice he spared his life? Pay attention to the first time he spared his life when the Bible says the people came to Saul and they said the Philistines are in the land. And Saul had to stop pursuing David and go back. When you look at the story here, you see the Philistines should have never been in the land that far back. The problem was is that Saul never recovered. And the Philistines came far into the land and this is what led to Saul's demise. Why? Because God called Saul to fight the Philistines, but God chose, or excuse me, Saul chose to fight David. Saul failed because he took his eyes off the call of God upon his life. And he placed it on David. David became his idol. David became his God. And what Saul did was he exchanged who God was in his life and placed David there because David became everything that Paul, or excuse me, Saul envied. And what we see here is that he lost. David could have easily went down the same road. At this time, David discouraged, perhaps wondering how long is this going to take? I know nobody here is impatient. I know you guys don't ever say, God, when are you going to take care of this? Lord, when are you going to do that? I mean, God bless you guys. Right? You, you've never wondered why God is taking so long, right? You've never wondered that, right? Yeah. God bless you guys and your little holy lives that you don't think that way, you know? I mean, you know, sometimes we're like, Lord, where are you? I prayed that. Like, I know where he's at, right? But it's like, we're really saying, how come you haven't done nothing? And it's in those times that what carries us is the promises of God in the promises of trial. You always have to look back and say, well, Lord, you were faithful in this moment. But sometimes we struggle trying to remember those points that the Lord was faithful. David had to hold on to what God had spoken in his life in the past. Now, think with me for a moment here as David is looking at all of this and he's seeing that Saul is relentlessly pursuing his life. David started to make some bad decisions. And sometimes we could make difficult and bad decisions in our lives that, that are not so much these great grievous sins against God, but these things begin to set us back a little bit further and further. I always like the crash course in things. 
I like things right away. I don't know. I'm sorry. I got to admit, you guys pray for me after, please. I'm impatient. Sometimes it's like when I pray, I want it right then and there. Like right when I say amen, right? And I'll say things in my prayer like, God, you know, I have faith in you. Amen. And nothing happens. And it's like, all right, you're probably busy right now, but I'll give you about 10 more minutes. <laughs> right? Or, or we pray and we're like, I'm putting it in your hands. I'm putting them in your hands, Lord. You know what you're really saying is you're going to put it there, leave it there and trust that God. Right. But what do we do? I could be speaking for myself. We say, Lord, I put them in your hands. And then like five minutes later, you're on the phone. Like, where are you? What are you going to be doing? Where are you going? This and that. It's like the Lord's like, I thought you left them to me. I, I did. But, you know, it's I got them right here right now. <laughs> no, if you put someone something in the Lord's hands, leave it there. Persevere and trust in the Lord. Amen. Amen. I, I think God uses this in our own lives, right? He's, he, he's working in us. He's just like, oh, you, you, you. David here, probably discouraged because something didn't happen right away. I don't know. I try to relate the story in the way I do. And the Bible says here that, that David went and joined himself with God's enemies. The Philistines. Even so much so that, remember when David went to Gath and he, he pretended like he was crazy? They're like, we don't want this crazy weirdo here. And the, the Philistines are like, this guy's nuts. And then, then again here, they're, they're kind of like, we don't want him fighting with us. So much so that at this point in time right here, David went to partner with the enemies to what? Fight against God's people. And the Lord didn't allow David to make that move. As a matter of fact, the Philistines rejected David and his 600 men. So here they are coming into chapter 30, rejected, discouraged. David is waiting for this Saul who, who obviously the spirit of the Lord has departed from. And God, how come you haven't taken care of this? And the two times that David could have dealt with Saul, he didn't. Why? Because David, I believe, looked at it this way. If God placed Saul where he is, then God will remove him. Who am I to touch the Lord's anointed? This is all God's doing. But I believe that the Lord was teaching David an important thing. And as David now rejected and perhaps the promise taking a lot longer, Lord, when is all this going to change? I mean, look at my life. Look at what I've become. I'm with, I'm with a group of, remember, the ragtag of 600 men, these guys that were in debt and, 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 and they were like these loners. And they, and they came and they met Dave at the, at, at the cave of Adullam, right? And, and there he is with these guys. What am I going to do? The Lord's like, lead him. Lead him? Yes. And when they went and made a pact with the Philistines, they gave David this city called Ziklag. And what did David do? He went around and he began to raid all the other cities and rob the people. This is what he was doing. He, he was robbing people. And then when he would go to the king of uh, 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 the Philistines that was there at the time, the leader there, and he would say, where have you been? He says, oh, I've, I've, been, I've been fighting against Saul's army. He was lying. He was stealing. And he became everything that he was opposed to as a shepherd boy. Something changed in David's life. It wasn't so much that David was this bad guy. After all, even at that, he was still the man after God's own heart. Isn't that amazing? That what God speaks concerning you never changes, regardless of how you turn out. I always tell people I'm God's favorite. I believe that with all my heart. I'm his favorite. I don't know about you, but I know about me. I'm his favorite. 
But listen to this. Rejected. The promise not fulfilled. Verse 1 of chapter 30 says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag. This was their city, guys. On the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south. Burned it with fire. Listen to this. Ziklag was attacked. They burned it with fire. And they taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. And they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. David and his men came. And what did they see? In the distance, they weren't greeted with women and children. They were greeted with pillars of smoke. They, they, they seen the city that, that was theirs besieged. It was a very trying time for David. Remember, oftentimes when we go through things, we say, man, when it rains, it. Can you imagine what David was feeling with his men? Rejected by the Philistines. The promise had not been fulfilled yet. And the Bible says here that David now comes and the city is besieged. David's wife, wives, <laughs> the wives of these men and children were taken captive. The city, there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive, and David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Anybody ever been there? Weeping when you had no more power to weep? No more tears coming out? And David's two wives... Ahoniam and the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed. Boy, I can relate to that there. Greatly distressed. When I study the Psalms, I like to get the backdrop behind each Psalm and know the story of the context. You know what Psalm is more notable that David wrote during this distress in his life with Ziklag? Psalm chapter 18. I want to turn there very quickly because I want to share with you something out of this psalm that I think is really important. You see the word here, distress. It says David was in distress. In Psalm chapter 18, David says this in verse 6, Psalm 18, 6. It says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. Think about this for a moment. The Hebrew word here, tzatzar, in the Hebrew is for the word distress. And, and, and clearly what it means is when I was in a tight place, when I had nowhere else to turn. A tight place, distress. David says, when I was in distress, the only thing I could do was turn to the Lord. He goes on to say here, and cried out to my God, and he heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. This is what David wrote after his time and experience that he had there in Ziklag. And then look at this. Because David cried out, look at verse 19 of the same chapter. I think this is so amazing. The Lord responds to David's cry. Verse 19 says, he also brought me out into a broad place. What took David from being in a tight place to a broad place was what? Him crying out to the Lord, his God. David was in a difficult place. Why? Some would say, well, because look at, look at what happened here. His, his wives were taken captive and women and children. But, but look at what else. For the people spoke of stoning him. Rejected by the Philistines. No, we don't want you. 
feeling rejected by God because Saul was constantly in pursuit of him, caused David to begin to trust in his own wisdom and his own emotions. Listen to this. David trusted in that which failed him miserably, and that was himself. It's times like this that God took what was happening in David's life to cause him to focus back on what God had promised him. The Bible goes on to say here that these ragtag group of guys now were thinking, maybe we should just kill David. It's his fault. How do you go from being one who is called a man after God's own heart, promised to be the next king in Israel, to a man now who has allowed his women and children in the city to be taken captive and now his own men want to kill him? The Bible goes on to say, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David, listen to this, strengthened himself in the Lord God. He strengthened himself in the Lord God. That's what David said here in Psalm chapter 18. When I was in my distress, this very tight place, he says, I cried out to the Lord. I love what Psalm 103 has to say. In verses, starting in verse 3, it goes on, and this is what it says. It says, who forgives all our iniquities, who heals all our diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness, tender mercies. Listen to this. This is a psalm of David. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. What a great prayer of God's mercy. I love the fact that he says here, in this point, that he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. You see, I don't want to know God's acts. I want to know his ways. David was a man who understood the ways of God because the time that he spent with the Lord. And David here, as he's in this distress, grieved, strengthened himself in the Lord, went to the only thing that he understood and knew to be his source of strength. And the Bible says that David then said to Abathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring an ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod. This was the ephod of the priest that he would wear. And as you guys remember there, uh, the Urim and the Thummim that we see there in the book of Exodus, starting around chapter 28. Remember, this was the light and flashing. This is how God would reveal the yea and the nay to his people. And David said, this is the way we got to get a hold of the Lord. I got to hear from God. And one of the things I always encourage the people in the body of Christ, don't ever get to the place where you don't think you can hear from the Lord. You know that God is constantly looking to speak to us. Did you know that? It's interesting, you know, we do a lot of counseling as a pastor, you know, quite a bit, you know, and, and, and I don't like to call it counseling. I like to call it biblical guidance. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, man. That's it. But I always want to point into the word of God. You know what blows me away? Because when people come to me and they say, oh, I just, you know, I need, I need some counseling. Okay, so we sit and we, they get into the whole thing. They tell me the whole story. And, and, you know, and I try not to hear too, too much. But I just say, so what have you been doing? 
I've just been going crazy trying to figure this out. Well, trying to figure something out that you yourself can really not do anything about will drive you crazy. But I say, are you praying? I haven't prayed this much in a long time. Okay, so you're praying. Are you reading your word? Well, you know, I, you know, I, I do get in my word, but not like I should, you know, but I'm, I'm just praying and waiting on God. And I says, well, let me ask you this question. If I would have told you, hey, come into my office and let's meet and let's, let's talk about this. And you said, okay. And then I talked the whole time and didn't let you get a word and then said, okay, we're done. God bless you. How would you feel? You'd say, I feel like, what was all this about? Like nothing got accomplished. I go, that's exactly what it's like when all you do is pray. Because that's you speaking to the Lord. Reading his word is him speaking to you. That's the two-way conversation we have with God. You're not going to hear this audible voice from heaven like, I am God. This is what you need to do. No. God speaks to us through his word. You pray, you speak to him. You read, he speaks to you. And God always answers. How many of you here have unanswered prayers? I didn't raise my hand. God has answered every prayer of mine. I know you guys are like, yeah, he is a weirdo. Okay, let's see. Okay, talk a little bit. Talk. It might be the, all the drug use. Okay, it's fine. No, he has. There's not a prayer in my life that God has not answered. Every single one of them. Yes, no, and not right now. Everyone has been answered. What I always pray is, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done and also, God, please give me the grace to accept your will, even when it's contrary to what I think is right for me. Never give me what I want. Give me what you have for me. David sought the Lord. David went immediately to the priest and he said, listen, we need to get a hold of God and we need to look to the Lord. David found himself in a place where, as we see in this famous song that was written, you know, Jesus, lover of my soul. Remember that song? He set my feet upon the rock and now I know. Well, this is kind of the whole picture here that we see in the book of Psalms in, in chapter 40. David said this very psalm. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. He also brought me up out of the horrible pit. Let me explain something to you about the pit. It's funny how sometimes we often describe someone else's situation about, boy, they're in a pit right now. But how often are God's people in the pit? The pit of despair, the pit of impatience, the pit of struggling and strife. You know that God teaches us some of the most valuable lessons in the pit. We learn the most in the pit. This is what David is saying here. And David was in a time where he was in the pit, man. There are three things I think that are important for us to ask ourselves in a situation like this. You see the encouragement of Psalm chapter 40, and especially when you get into verse 2, he says that he was in a horrible pit and out of the miry clay, and he set his feet upon the rock and established my steps. Listen to this. And he put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear. Listen to this. And will trust in the Lord. Why? Why? Because of the deliverance of God. 
Think about that for a moment. God desires to be glorified, does he not? Absolutely. That's what the Bible says. And our lives are instruments so that others could see the glory of God. What a privilege. But David said, as the Lord works this out in my life, he says, many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Perhaps David at this point, as he looked at the city of Ziklag, in utter destruction, his men wanted to kill him. His wives taken captive. David looks back and says, you know, Lord, I don't know what happened to what you were going to do. Saul just wants to kill me. The Philistines have invaded the city. I've become friends with them. I'm, I'm fighting against my God. How did I get to the pit? In David's case, it could have been several things, but here's what we do know, that for a moment and for a season, David took his eyes off the promise of God. And David lived for himself. It didn't take much time for David to end up in this pit. How did I get here? The second thing we learn when we realize how we got in the pit, the second thing is, what is the nature of God? You see, we talk about these things about God when we say that he's omnipresent, meaning what? That he's everywhere at once, right? That he's omniscient, that he's all-knowing, that he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful. And what we fail to realize is the other omni of God. The word omni is the Latin word for all. That God is omnibenevolent. There's never a time when God is not good. He's always good. Even in the midst of pain and sorrow and difficult circumstances, even in the midst of, you know, that God will even take your bad decision and he'll still serve a purpose through it. How amazing is that? I'm so thankful that God doesn't have a heart like mine. Boy, I'd be in for it. But he's good. He's omnibenevolent. And David understood the nature of God. But we also see here a third thing that we can learn. Now that we've considered how do we get here and we realize the nature of God, with all of this we say, what is my life supposed to be like? Was this supposed to be David's life? Only ruling over 600 men? I mean, some would take that and just say, hey, well, at least I got to lead some guys, right? At least we got to do some work. And if Saul would have been a different type of king, I probably would have been king. If Saul would have been a different type of leader, no, you can't blame others for where you are. I think that's a good point. But we need to look to the Lord. Perhaps the Lord allowed, you know, you know what I've learned about suffering? And I know this is not a message on suffering, but it's a message on being distracted and losing heart. But you know what I've learned about suffering? Sometimes people suffer because just because they're Christians, right? We call it persecution. Sometimes people suffer because they do their, they do something like Peter says, you know, dumb, right? Right? Is that okay to say? But li listen to this. <laughs> Let me put it this way. You know, um, <laughs> I, I trip out on Peter, man. I, I love Peter because he's kind of like, don't suffer. Listen to this. Don't suffer as, a, as an evil person, as a murderer, a thief. And then guess what else he says? A busybody. 
In Spanish, we call that a comadre. Some of you don't know what that is. A gossiper. You know the person that you call in the family because you know whatever you got to say will get to everybody before you hang up the phone? That's the one you call, right? Well, you know, he says don't even suffer. He put that person in the same line as a thief and a murderer. So be careful before you talk about someone else's circumstance or situation and they're not there to defend themselves. See it the way the Lord sees it. That always tripped me out. I read that there, you know, in the Hispanic culture, we got a lot of that going on, you know. So I make sure I read that verse all the time when the family gets together. You know, Peter did say, conversation changes very quickly. Let me help you with something here. So we could suffer for all of these things. I think this is remarkable. You know the book of Job. Boy, the book of Job. Why did Job suffer? Over 300 questions why in the Bible. Job asked why the entire book. God never answered. Job knows now he's with the Lord. But you know Job's story starts without another record. The record is Satan speaking to God. And the topic of their discussion is who? So what did Job suffer for? Let me propose this thought to you that I think is remarkable. Paul the Apostle in writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9 and writing to the believers in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3 in verses 10 and 11. Paul says that sometimes our suffering is for principalities and powers. It has nothing to do with anything that's going on here on earth. And you might say, oh, okay. So you're saying that they're fighting over me up there? You better believe it. Isn't that what Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, Romans chapter 8, starting right around verse 34, what does it say? That Jesus is seated at the right hand of who? The Father forever making intercession. Why is he making intercession? Because the accuser of the brethren is there accusing you and me day and night. Christ is interceding for us. And there's something going on in the principalities and powers. And here we are, we're worried about an electricity bill getting cut off. And we think that's the greatest trial. We're worried about things. We're missing fellowship, prayer meetings, Bible studies. Not you guys, but, you know, other people. Anyways. And we place other things before being in this relationship with a God who is all-powerful. And listen, now, if you've read the Bible, 843,000 words. I know because I counted every single one of them. But listen to this. The Bible says in... No, I didn't. So I mean, like, wow, he's a good counter. No, I didn't. Okay. Anyways, listen. Remember in the book of Acts? Remember the seven sons of Sceva? Remember when they tried to go and cast demons out and they came in encounter with one guy and he had all these demons in him? You know, I, I trip out on the book of Acts. People look at me and they're kind of like, you know, well, that happened then. No, listen, I've had some demonic encounters. Pastor Joel will tell you. I, I know there's been demonic counters in Belize and demonic counters in Haiti. I've experienced, I cast a demon out of a 13-year-old kid who was manhandling his brothers that weighed about three, 400 pounds. I seen it physically before God with my eyes. He was 80-some pounds, picked his 400-pound brother up. Mind-blowing. The kid to this day has been completely delivered. Still comes to church. Didn't know what happened. 
But he struggled for an entire year that way. An amazing thing. Anyways, here's the point. The seven sons of Sceva go and, 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 and they're trying to cast the demons out by, by the work of the flesh, right? And the demon says, hey, listen, come here, guys. Let's have a talk. Oh, boy. They said, you know, Paul we know and Jesus we know. But who are you? See, now Paul was still around, right? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. What are they saying to them? In eternity, we're aware of what's going on here. Do you have a reputation in eternity? Does the enemy know that this is a person I can mess around with, fool with their family, and guess what? I can take them off track. Or do they say, you can't mess with that one. They're so focused and determined. You see, sometimes our suffering is because of principalities and powers. It's a biblical thing. And David here, there was a great wrestling in his life. And David cried out in both Psalm chapter 18 and Psalm chapter 40. And the Bible says that David went to the Lord and said, God, I need your help. This was probably one of the greatest battles that David could have ever fought in his life. One of the greatest battles, and it had nothing to do with him physically going. It had everything to do with him humbling himself and coming to the Lord and saying, God, reignite, recommit. Some of us have stopped praying for things we used to pray for before. We think that God is not moving, but he is. He's on the move. Trust me, I know. I see it. How did David come back and win? Well, we know this to be true, that there was four things that David did very quickly. Number one, you read it right there. In verse six, the first thing that David did, he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The second thing that David did, in verse 8, he inquired of the Lord. In verse 9, we see the third thing that David did. He put his trust in the Lord. He inquired of the Lord, and he put his trust in him. He didn't just say, God, move. He prayed, God, do this, and trusted and waited for the Lord to do it. And the fourth thing that David did here in verse 23, the Bible says that David then, remember, as the Lord spoke, David says, if I go and fight these Amalekites, are we going to have the victory? And you know what the Lord says? David, go and fight. You're going to win. And the Bible says that David went and fought. And guys, listen, just because there's great victory, there was, you see how crafty the enemy is? Look at what happens. So the Bible says here, then David attacked them, verse 17, from twilight until evening. From the next day, not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered, what does it say? All that the Amalekites had carried away, not some, not half of it, all of it, and rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoils or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks of the herds that had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook of Bisor. So when they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him, and David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked men, these are David's guys, okay? All of David's wicked and worthless men 
who went with David answered and said, because they, their own brothers, because they did not come with us. We will not give them any of the spoil that we may have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. I love what David does here. This could have been a whole other problem if David would have been like, yeah, you know what, you're right, they don't deserve nothing. But look at what he says. This is the fourth thing. But David said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. He taught those guys this valuable lesson. Yeah, 200 might have stayed behind. And you might have came with me. They were tired. But we didn't win this battle because of you. We won this battle because of the Lord. The promises of his word are faithful and true. And David then went on to say this to them. David said, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. Who has preserved us and delivered into our hands the troop that came against us? For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle so shall his part be who stays behind with the supplies they shall share alike. So it was from that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance to Israel to this day. You see the faithfulness of God, the promises of God were the things that carried David through in the trials of his life, like Psalm 18, like Psalm chapter 40. And I'll tell you guys what, for me, when I go through the valley or I go through difficult times, I mean, hey, God doesn't promise any of us a rose garden, right? But here's what we do know, is that these things shape and mold us into the men and women God's called us to be. This is what I do believe, that God is not done with any of us here today. You know who made the greatest impact in my life in my, I call them BC days before Christ? Was like an 80-some-year-old lady. More than what happened with my mom. I'll never forget this day. I had this stolen car and I was washing it. I used to act like they were mine. And I'm washing it and I had probably been up for like maybe four or five days with no sleep. I was on meth and heroin and and I'm washing this car, and it's like about 6 o'clock in the morning. Who's washing a car at 6 o'clock in the morning? And it's freezing cold outside. I'm in a wife beater and, uh, you know, and just out there, you know, sweating like crazy, you know, and washing it and everything. And there's this little old lady just staring at me. And, you know, and, uh, you, know you get paranoid with drugs, you know, and I'm looking at her. I'm like, eh, you know, she, she can be like an FBI agent or something, man. You know, she, <laughs> does she know this car is stolen? And I start thinking these things in my mind, like, I'm going to have to take her out, man. You know, she's... She's looking kind of crazy right now. No, I was. I was tripping. I really was. And I just kept looking at her, and she was just standing there staring at me. And I was, I was tripping. I was on a good one up so many days. And listen, it was very dangerous. It was because I was. I joke about it now, but I was thinking some things. I thought she was working for the cops. But she was praying for me. And then the more freakier thing happened. Check this out. So I'm like, I'm just going to tune her out. And I'm, you know, doing the whole wax on, wax off thing. And all of a sudden, I turn around because I hear something, and she's right there. I even kind of jumped, like, whoa. You know, so I just get, did that once over. You know, like, I could take her. Like this. <laughs> I could do this. I could do this, right? And this is what she said. You know what, young man? I said, what? So I told her, what? Jesus loves you. 
I looked at her and I'm like, yeah, I know. He loves you too. And she walked away. What she didn't realize was she ruined my high. Those words pierced my heart. And I said to myself, he does. You see, what I failed to realize was when I was five years old, God spoke a promise over my life. And now here I am today in Edmonds. <laughs> preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and telling you all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Keep praying, keep trusting, keep moving forward. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, let me tell you, you know where your ziklag is? Your ziklag is your marriage. Your ziklag is your family. Your ziklag is your legacy, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. And for you congregation here in Edmonds, your ziklag is Edmonds. There's a community out there that needs to know this God that you can bring people to and say, the Lord, he is God. How do you know? Because his word says it and it's true. And it doesn't have to just be some experience that you have in your life, but you can go out and you can lead people to Christ. You might not know all the scriptures, but your life might be the only Bible somebody reads. May it represent him. I love these words. I don't know who coined it. I don't know. I'm not an intellectual. They say it's St. Francis of Assisi, but the verdict is still out. And that is preach the gospel often and when necessary, use words. Father, we thank you. We worship you for who you are. I thank you for the fellowship here, Lord. I thank you for these men and women, the invitation to be here. The testimonies, the reminders, the story of David, the psalms that we looked at. May your word be written upon our heart. Many moms, many dads, many grandmas and grandpas, guardians and siblings praying for their prodigals. Perhaps even praying for promises spoken in their life. Give us the strength to persevere. That our lives can be instruments, not for our gratification, but for your honor and for your glory. We thank you, Lord, that you've spoken to some today. You've spoken into our situation. And Lord, may the fellowship here under the leadership of your servant, Pastor Joel, take Ziklag back. Edmund, Edmunds belongs to you. And Lord, we know that there are many here in this community that need the gospel and the promises of your word. I pray for a fresh anointing and a work of the spirit in all of our lives so that we can go back and take Ziklag. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.